Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, June 30th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we'll discuss this year's Futures Game rosters. All-Star Game starters have been announced. We'll dig into those. And Keith has an updated mock draft for the 2023 draft coming up here in just over a week. So we'll talk about a few changes on that. Keith, how's it going for you on this Friday? Uh, it's good. I'm ready to draft. Well, I don't get to draft. I'm ready for them to draft. I think we got... <laughs> it's Friday. So it's nine days, eight days to the Futures game, which I'm always excited about, nine days to the draft. And so about 12 till I sleep. I think that's about right. Yeah. Actually, I'm fine. I mean, honestly, I'm ahead of where I usually am in terms of content. Um, But like, let's go already. The draft is too late. Everyone in baseball thinks the draft is too late, except for Rob Manford. So on yesterday's show, Eno and Britt and I were talking about some of the changes that should be made to All-Star Week. The thing that they've nailed in recent years is the Home Run Derby. The timing of the draft is absurd. This would have been the perfect weekend for the draft because the NBA draft has happened. The NHL draft has already happened. It's Mm -hmm. like a standalone sports weekend before the 4th of July. It would not be part of the All-Star Week festivities. It'd have its own little space. And it'd be good because the people who work on this in baseball would actually have some time off during the All-Star break, potentially, before the rush to the trade deadline. There is a perfect little pocket for it. Oh, it's ideal. And College World Series is done. So everybody's done playing. You know, obviously some kids choose to go play on the Cape or other summer leagues, Northwoods, whatever. But that's fine. And then if the draft had just happened, you know, then scouts could easily just turn the page towards next year. Like USA Baseball has been doing the college team tryouts and the college team schedule uh, basically runs through the draft where the draft currently is like they are playing. If the draft wasn't when it is, I might be in North Carolina. Or I'd probably go to the futures game then go to North Carolina or wherever they travel a little bit to watch the college national team. Cause that tends to include a good chunk of the college first round candidates mm-hmm. for the following year. And now it's, you can't do both. I mean, of course I would love to do that, but I can't even think about next year's draft until we finish this one. That's true. And it's a lot, <laughs> always a lot. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't think, uh, you know, I'm sure some people do, but I don't. Like, no, no, no. So somebody asked me about a kid for 2025 in my Q&A the other day, and I hope I didn't seem dismissive, but I was like, yo, I have no cognitive room available for that. Asking in about 14 months, and then we can discuss. <laughs> some people just love the future, and then the future becomes that. Hey, that's great. That. Yeah. yeah, sure. It's okay. Sure. I just, I can't. I get one draft at a time, please. This is all I got the room for. It seems very reasonable. So Futures Game rosters have come out. They're out in full. Like last time we first started talking about Futures Game rosters last year, they were coming out a few players at a time. We got the whole roster, which is nice. And this is usually a game that's packed full of players you're going to see in the big leagues the following season. If you look at last year's rosters, Ellie De La Cruz, 
Yuri Perez, Taj Bradley, Hunter Brown, Corbin Carroll. It was loaded up and down. Lots of players who've already come up and made an impact since this game was played last summer. And I think especially on the position player side, it's easy to see that now. I guess my first question for you is, is the pitching a little thinner simply because we've seen so many rookie pitchers get pushed up to the big leagues this year and a handful of the guys that would have been in this game are actually just pitching in the bigs already? Yeah, that's probably true. Right. Like the Bobby Miller. Well, he was there last year. Gavin Stone's been in the big leagues. Um, all three of the Diamondbacks top pitching prospects are, you know, like Brandon Fox just came back up. So obviously he's in the big leagues like he can't um, he wouldn't be eligible. Um, yeah, I think that's probably true where. And also the other thing is. Sorry, I almost distracted myself. It's that cognitive load thing, man. Like, I just can't, you know, the parallel processing gets me. But the other, the, the bigger point, I think, at least, and, and, you know, I've had a little insight over the years into the, the futures game selection process. Is teams only choose to make certain guys available, right? You can go to, uh, you know, whatever club and say, we want these two guys. And the club might say, yeah, we're not sending that one. We don't want to give you that guy. We want to send this guy instead or such and such a pitcher is not available. We're doing some workload management or whatever, whatever reason. Some teams just have the philosophy. They just don't send those guys. They just don't send certain guys. Um, and uh, the reason doesn't matter. The, the game is is slightly worse off for it. And I think that clubs are also bothered by this idea now with because the MLB shortened the game to seven innings where now you have, you know, a guy might get hot, come in and throw two pitches. Was that worth is even worth sending him at that point? I don't know. Like part, you know, I my perspective is send the best players. I want to see the best players. Most people who watch the futures game just want to see the best players. But from an individual player development standpoint, I could understand someone's uh, some team saying, that ain't worth it. We'll send two position players. Or you want a pitcher? We'll send a pitcher, but he's going to be less of a prospect. And that just kind of sucks for everybody. Uh, but I think that's also what's what's happening where there are some good pitching prospects in the game. We could we could talk about specific guys, but it's not as good as it should be. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Harrison's going to be there. Tink Hentz is going to be there. He's fun. Yep. Carson Wisenhunt, who I'm hoping to see this weekend, um, who you know, folks who don't remember, Wisenhunt was suspended for some kind of positive drug test in college, didn't pitch his junior year. Went to the Cape through a couple of times, was the Giants' second round pick, is already in double A now. Um, and you know, they have Harrison, who's elite. But other like Wisenhunt would be the top pitching prospect in a lot of organizations right now. And that that pick is looking really, really good. He was like the 65th or something overall pick. And now they've got a guy who could probably impact the rotation by this time next year. So the Giants, kudos to the Giants. They sent their two best. I think the other guy on the National League side, Jacob Misarowski from the Brewers organization, he's got some electric stuff. He's one of those oh, guys bad. that some bad. people haven't seen him yet. They're going to be really excited once they do. So there's always players like that that pop up. And Mike Vassell, a guy in the Mets system who might be closer to big league ready, lower ceiling probably than a lot of the other names we just mentioned, but mm-hmm. could actually be someone they need for innings down the stretch given the state of the back of their rotation. Well, he's the the one guy I'm looking at the roster now. Like the one pitcher on that squad, I worry he could get called up next week. You don't know. We don't know. We lose guys like that all the time. Um, and you know, Vassal's like I'm good with that. Yes, you're right. He's not a high ceiling guy. He's a great story though. He in in from a player development standpoint, the Mets took him. I think it was the seventh round out of UVA. You know, he was a big prospect out of high school. And he slash his dad chose to take his name out of the draft to go to UVA probably turned probably walked away from about two million dollars never got it back and the mets said 
took a risk, took a chance on him to say, we think we can get you back to the picture you were three years ago, undo some of the changes that had happened at UVA. We think we can unlock some more velocity. And almost immediately, he started throwing harder. And now he's on the doorstep of the big leagues, thanks to, again, what the Mets player development folks have done since they drafted him. Um, and you know, kudos to the, guy, the Mets guys for drafting him in the first place. Yeah, he had a great run at double A to start the year just recently, yep. got bumped up to triple A walks in, in the brief time he's been there been a problem. But with all the issues they've had with David Peterson, Tyler McGill, the possibilities of trading starters, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, yeah. Carlos Carrasco, whoever it could be, there will likely be opportunities down the stretch in that Mets rotation if Vassal's pitching well uh, at triple A. So, yeah, of the pitchers whether it's NL side or AL side, that doesn't really matter. Anybody you haven't seen recently or haven't seen before that you're excited to get a look at in the Futures game this year? You know, I have never seen Sam Robertson, the Dutch pitcher, right-hander in the Blue Jays organization. Um, and I've actually only seen Yasver Valletta, who's also Zulueta, who was also in the Blue Jays organization. I think he threw one pitch last year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was on the roster last year. He was on the roster. I think he threw one pitch. It was a good pitch, but you know, that's like, that's the whole, what, why, why, why did you put him on the plane in the first place? If all he was going to do is throw one pitch and Robertson is just super interesting to me. One, cause he's Dutch, like actually Dutch, not Curacao or Ruben Dutch. He is a Dutch kid and um, a command guy, really good command guy, full complement of pitches. The secondaries are all pretty promising. We're just waiting for the velocity to come. And it started, it crept up in spring training this year and then backed up a little bit. Really would love to see what it looks like. And do I think this fastball is going to be able to play if he never fully gains the velocity that everyone's been projecting for him for several years now? Because fastball at the very least is his least effective pitch. Is it, can it just be good enough that he can be a guy who throws, you know, 60% off speed stuff and really mixes his pitches and works to quadrants, great delivery. Like, I love these guys. These guys are super interesting and they're way easier to evaluate for me when you see them in person. Guys like that are much harder to do, say, just off video. And I never feel as comfortable when it's secondhand. I want to see how it all works together. And I love that a guy like that is in the Futures game because typically in the Futures game, it's kind of like Fall League. Here's a bunch of guys who throw hard. Some of them are prospects. Some of them throw hard. That's fine. Give me the guy who throws 102. That's fun. I'm into that. But at the same time, like, there's a place in the game for the Sam Robertses. You know, it's hard to find the next Kyle Hendricks. I certainly never thought Kyle Hendricks would turn into the pitcher he became. But if you've got a guy who's got some of those early characteristics where where folks really agree, the command's there, the delivery's there, and the body's got a chance to fill out, and there might be a little more stuff. Yeah, put a couple of those guys in the game. And good for the Blue Jays for saying, yes, they sent two of their best pitching prospects. On the position player side, it's a loaded group, like always. Jackson yes. Holiday, Junior Caminero, uh, Marcelo Mayer. I mean, uh, Jonathan yep. Classe is a big riser this year. Uh, on that one, Gilbert yep. is pretty interesting. I mean, there's tons of players on both sides that you can get really excited about. Same kind of question. Is anybody you haven't really had a, a recent look at or a look at at all that you're going to get to see for the first time? Yeah, I've never seen Classe. He was my breakout guy for the Mariners system. Might have actually been a year prior and then was slightly better last year. He's really had a breakout year for them this year. And I didn't even get him in spring training, but just being in their camp, I never really never was in the right place. He was never in the lineup. Caminero, I've seen just once this year, I think, in spring training and just too briefly. Harry Ford, another one I think I've seen like maybe one game swing at some point in spring training, if even that. Now I'm double, I'm doubting myself. I might not have ever actually seen him. Certainly never wrote about him, never saw enough. 
those are some good ones um, on the American League side. Really excited to see. Um, I always I saw Jackson Churio two games at the end of spring training. I'll never turn down a chance to see him. He's super fun. Um, I didn't see Justin Crawford in high school. Um, he was a little bit of a late riser and would have been just from an efficiency standpoint, the one kid in Vegas, it would have been a little, you know, I, there were other places to go. Yankee Fernandez, I'll throw out there too, the Cuban outfielder in the Rocky system. Who's been their big breakout prospect in the system. I saw him for two at bats in spring training this year. And it was like, this looks good. That's not a whole lot. Um, so, you know, a chance to see a little bit more. Now he's in the Eastern League too, so I should get another chance to catch up with him, hopefully get a full game or two at some point uh, before the end of the summer. But yeah, that's, I mean, the, the position players are great. I'm all in on this position player group on both sides. You know, I, and there's guys here I've seen a lot of, right? I saw a lot of James Wood before he got promoted. I saw Brady House. I've seen him three times already this year. I think he's got a chance to be like really, really good. Certainly very few guys in, in the minor leagues impact the baseball the way that he does. Um, it's funny. There are There is a catcher named Caro on both rosters, and they're both prospects. And they're both pretty good. So, yeah, there's a lot. There, There's like, it's a good group. And once again, why can't we just play nine innings? Like, I would rather Major League Baseball say, we're going to designate Two extra pitchers on each side weren't really prospects, but we will, you know, ask teams, hey, you got a guy who can just come soak up some innings if we run into trouble. So they're not really scheduled to get into the game, but you've got somebody who can maybe come in and, and just face three to six batters in case, you know, this has happened in the futures game where somebody comes in and he can't throw a strike or he just can't get an out. It happens. So just have a couple of guys who weren't really on the futures game roster, maybe pay them extra or something just so that we could play nine innings. Because who doesn't want another at-bat at Jackson Holiday or Brady House? We all do. If you like baseball, you should be super excited about these lineups and want to see more of them. So, I, I you know, I'm, I'm screaming into the void here, but I really wish MLB would just put this back to nine innings. And I really don't care if this delays the celebrity softball game. I think they could get rid of the celebrity softball game or shorten that further or just, yeah, do anything different to add those extra two innings. Any solution I'm here for as far as just getting mm-hmm. a few extra pitchers there to make sure that you've got the the cover you need. Fernandez is definitely one of the players that I'm just curious to see because I've never seen him play before. And he was putting up great numbers at high A, just got that bump to double A in the Rockies organization. But yeah, there's, there's a great group of players here all around. Jordan Lawler, who actually got off to a pretty rough start to the season, mm-hmm. has actually turned things around at double A. The Diamondbacks uh, big league shortstop situation has been much better than I anticipated. I thought there was a mm-hmm. non-zero shot that if Jordan Lawler just dominated double A AA and triple A this year, that by the end of the season, he might be their shortstop. Roldo Perdomo too. has played well enough where that's really not an issue at this point. He's kind of been a breakout guy in the big leagues, right? Not somebody I called. I'm just saying he has broken out um, so mm-hmm. far this year, which is great to see. I'm very here for prospects who three years later turn into the guy people thought he would be, whether it's his own club or other scouts, whatever. Like they don't all they're not all stars right away. They develop on their timetable, not on our timetable. So this is great to see. Yeah. Leody Tavares, I think maybe on the the AL side gets that nod this year too. I mean, it's better late than never. He's not even he's not even old. He's 24. He'll be no. 25 in September. It's just he was so young for the level everywhere he played. I feel like you had to be a scout. You had to have eyes on him to believe that there was still a level like this coming from him. If you were number scouting, there's no chance you would have been still buying into Leody Tavares in 2023. 
So he was on my breakouts list coming into the year. And somebody, thank you to the reader who tweeted at me yesterday, said, it looks like you're getting your breakout. And thank, thank you. Always nice when they acknowledge the hits. They always acknowledge the misses. Um, he was a scout's darling back when he was, what, 19 or so in A-ball? And I juiced him. On a t- he was in my top 50 the first year he appeared. And then he just like, I think we had a little prospect fatigue on that one mm-hmm. um, where the core ingredients, the things that you liked about him were all there. A huge part of it was just waiting for the body to catch up to everything else. He could always play center. He had a good idea at the plate, just generally a very instinctive player with some pretty good tools and a swing that you thought would allow him to get to some power. He just had to fill out. And some guys, look, some guys never get to that strength, right? Some guys get to it early. Some guys get to it late. And he's, it's not even late, but it's late that we were waiting for about five years. And now the strength has finally come. And you could see it a little bit last year. He didn't have great results. He started hitting the ball harder at the end of, la- towards, especially towards the end of last year. It's like, I think it's happening. And then in spring training this year, it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is happening. And so it's great to see. And it was also great to see the Rangers. He, he was still batting ninth. He was like 14th in the American League in in OPS, and he was batting ninth for the Rangers. Like, hey, Texas, I know you guys are going good. Are you going that good? <laughs> it's a nice luxury so, to have. You're hitting a guy that low right? in the order. I guess so. 2020 pace, 346 OBP. It's it's a good player. Right? That's the big thing is, too. He's, the, the approach had been there in the minors, and I think he was just over his head when they first brought him up to the big leagues. Not criticizing, just that's what happened. And now you're starting to see, no, this kid actually did have a good idea. And it's another one where it's just you lay eyes on the player or talk to people who did. You can get that. It's much harder to get that out of out of his stat line because it looks like he's undisciplined. If you look at some of those some of those stat lines where it was, no, he was just overmatched. But the skill that was there when he was younger was still intact. And he was able to recover it once he was strong enough to actually put it into practice. Yeah, a good story on a roster loaded with them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. 
promo code MLBSHOW. And you don't have to look much further than the All-Star Game starters for the American League to see that that's, uh, that's the kind of season they're having right now in Texas. Mm-hmm. Look at this group of, of AL starters, and it's just it's packed with all sorts of Rangers. You've got Jonah Heim behind the plate. Mm-hmm. You've got Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager up the middle. Josh Young mm-hmm. voted in as the starter at third. Uh, so four out of those position players coming from that Rangers lineup. And it's interesting, in, in the wind-up, the daily baseball newsletter that Levi Weaver and Ken Rosenthal have, they they had the the players that should be in by performance next to the players that were voted in, if you're just using war. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Rangers sure. fans missed on one of their own guys. Adelis Garcia should be there. He should be in over yes. Randy Rosarena by, by that method. And Adelis Garcia is such an interesting player to me, Keith, because... I didn't buy into the approach working. I thought more likely than not when he was getting those opportunities on what were pretty bad Rangers teams in 2021, mm-hmm. that the strikeout rate really wasn't going to get better, that he was chasing too much. And that while the the power and speed and you know, those tools were legit, there just wasn't enough hit tool to go with it. And he's just whittled away at that K rate. He's walking more than ever this year. It's just another mm-hmm. success story within that organization of a guy that's reached a level that, I don't even think the most optimistic projections on him would have no. said, yeah, he's going to be on a 40 homer pace someday. At age 30, he is actually made, you know, so for, for I just the stats in front of me, Garcia, 2021, when he made the all-star team, uh, 286 OBP, 32 walks in 149 games. Last year, 300 OBP, 40 walks in 156 games with a couple intentionals. It's 38 unintentional walks. This year, he's already got 32 walks in 80 games and a 333 OBP. I mean, he's half a season is not a conclusive sample, but enough to say, I think he's a better player now. I think he's actually made the adjustment where um, it's funny. I was talking to a friend who's a Rangers fan, Kai Kirk, um, this season. And that's, at least Garcia was his favorite player. I was like, this guy, like he does a couple of things really, really well, but that's a pretty fatal flaw when you're talking about a guy with a sub 300 career OBP and Garcia just, I guess he heard me um, since that argument was in February and he went out and addressed the one thing that was holding him back most as a player. And it's now, yeah, now he is an all, he should be an all-star starter. He's having an all-star starter season on top of, he was doing some all-star-y things the last couple of years. And now it's really all come together in a way that makes me much more optimistic. If you'd asked me before the season, I was in your camp. Regression is coming. Now, I don't know. This guy might have another couple of years as a, like a, you know, top, what, top 20 player in the American League because it's power, speed, defense, and he's not going to hurt you with the on base skills. I think the thing that also stands out to me for a guy with this much power, it's not a pull happy approach. It's power to all fields. He's hitting the ball everywhere. He's not one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think that bodes really well. He's a good defender, too. So, very. People always overlook that, I think, from a, a long term projection standpoint. Not people in the scouting community, but I think on the fan side and the fantasy side, I think the importance of defense gets a little overlooked. Being able to play any position well defensively affords you so much more playing time that you get more opportunities to grow as a hitter. And I think maybe that's part of what what helped being on a rebuilding team, being a great defender sort of led the Rangers. Let's just keep throwing him out there. There's stuff we like about what he does and he can get better. The Rangers never gave up on Leody Tavares. But it kind of gives it just gives you more runway, right? It was always this. We know this guy can play center field. So at the very least, he has a role as a big leaguer who can at least make some contact and really play center field. And that just buys you so much more time. It is why when 
you look at any of my lists, whether it's my off-season prospect list or my draft list, I have a lot of guys up the middle, a lot of shortstops and center fielders because it just it, it increases your value straight out for playing those positions, more so if you play them well, and it buys you time. Yeah, and easier transitions to other spots too, even if you're blocked mm-hmm. because of a crowded depth chart or, or whatever that case might be. I'm not Absolutely. surprised to see a few rays sprinkled in here as well. Yandy Diaz wrote it in as the starter at first base. Yeah, Randy Rose Rain, who I mentioned. With Yandy Diaz, I mean, for years, Keith, anytime you'd see, if you caught a picture from Twitter or Instagram or something, or you watch him play and you, you see the biceps, you're just like, this right. guy has more power. It's in there. It has to be in there. It'd be impossible for him to not have more power. He is too strong to not hit more home runs. And the problem has always been that Yandy Diaz hits the ball on the ground a lot. At the beginning yeah. of the season, he wasn't hitting the ball on the ground as much as he usually does. He's kind of fallen right back into his previous norms so far for the first half. So is this a player figuring it out at 31 becoming his best self or is it a player who just had the best half of his career and he's going to likely just be the guy we've seen for the better part of the last five or six years which is still a valuable player a guy that hits the ball hard gets on base I mean, just a, a solid all-around offensive profile albeit one that doesn't have the sort of game-altering power you'd expect yeah I think he's Actually, his best thing he's doing best, I believe he's leading the American League in on-base percentage this mm-hmm. year. That'll play. Yeah. Right? If you're that with average-ish power, that'll play. Even as a first baseman, first baseman's going to be, okay, so he's not going to be a superstar. I mean, the guy's third in baseball right now in WRC+. plus, Second in the American League behind this some guy on the Angels. I, I don't even know. Uh, but they're, the skill set that Diaz is showing this year if you figure, because of what you said, right? More balls in the air early. Now it's less of that, but he's still hitting the ball hard. He is still drawing walks at a pretty good clip. He's getting himself on base. Like my guess is Diaz is going to kind of be like that. It'll be up and down. The swing will probably regress a little bit. He's hitting the ball on the ground and the Rays will get with him and they'll make the adjustment. He'll hit the ball in the air for a little bit, maybe drift back down, right? He'll be at somebody when I was the Blue Jays referred to some uh, particular player as having a high maintenance swing. I think Diaz is a bit like that where they're just always going to have to be on top of him to work with. Okay. You know what? You're getting on top of the ball again. You're hitting the ball on the ground too much. Let's get back in the cage. Let's work on this. Cause he's shown he can do that, right? This is not pie in the sky. You can make the adjustment with a player like that. I also do want to shout out Mike Petriello over at MLB. I think he's the Andy Diaz, like the president of the fan club <laughs> and has been for years. He has been calling for a big Yandy Diaz breakout for a while now and seeing Yandy. I mean, literally, I saw the video the Rays posted where Kevin Cash announced to the team that Yandy and Rosarena were all-stars. And my first thought was Petriello got one. That's good. Rosarena is having a great year. I mean, he's it's a little bit like the the Adelis Garcia profile, a little less swing and miss early in his career, but similar to where I thought, I don't know how long this is going to work. And I wonder if he's going to always strike out 28, 30% of the time. Instead, this season and last, he's been under 25%, and now he's walking more than ever. A 13.3% walk rate is new. So Yandy Diaz up there at the yeah, top of the leaderboard. Randy Rosarena sitting right there with a 401 OBP right now. Crazy. Absolutely. And, and great, right? Great to see. I love seeing guys make those adjustments older, right? I'm doing air quotes. Right? They're not old, but older in baseball terms, right? We're talking about all these guys, all of whom are Cuban, actually, right? Three guys so far, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So is Yankeel Fernandez. So maybe that's maybe we project <laughs> forward on him too. When when Yankeel is twenty nine, he will see a big jump in his walk rate. 
No, I love seeing that. I love seeing guys acquire new skills. It is, uh, you know, I, it, not to make this about me, but people are like, you never want to admit you're wrong or you hate being wrong. Like, of course, I want to be right because I want to be good at my job. But being wrong often means players doing new things, surprising me, getting better. Who doesn't want to see that? These are people. I like players. I like talking to players. One of my favorite things I ever did at The Athletic was talking to Austin Riley about how he worked to completely overhaul his approach at the plate. First of all, I just find it intellectually fascinating, but also like, that's awesome. Like, why would you ever root for a player to not get better? I, I, I don't understand the mentality. I am very happy that things I said about Austin Riley being basically too undisciplined, having too much of really two different holes at the plate to be an effective major league hitter. He took all that, crumpled it up and threw it in the trash. That's And he's made himself a better player and a better career. He's going to make himself a whole lot of money because of that. Like That's fantastic. Um, the thing I was going to say a second ago, while we were talking about the, just the leaders in the American League, how many American League hitters right now have a 900 or better OPS? I, it, leaving aside, we all know I hate OPS, but just go with me. How many have a 900 or better OPS? I'll say seven. Two. Two. Oh. Qualifying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Qualifying. Yeah. Otani. Sure. At a thousand fifty-seven, and Yandy Diaz at nine twenty-two. Luis Robert is just shy at eight ninety-three. Right. So there's like this is an artificial boundary, but what the hell is going on? National League's fine. One, two, three, four, five, six. So you would have been close in the in the National League. And JD Martinez is just outside at eight ninety-six. Oh come on, JD! One more homer, dude. One more homer. Or like draw a walk more than once every two weeks. How about that? Can we go with that? Like, okay, we did all these. MLB did all these changes, and no, what? Nobody can hit. It ain't how you know. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna like do my big, you know, Joe Sheehan at this point, right? Put in like three totally ridiculous rules, and no, nothing actually gets better. Like the whole goal was to see more offense. And okay, I'm not looking at run scoring. I'm looking at individual performance. That's not the same thing. But still. The leaderboard's pretty sad right now. Like, I look at that and think that horrible Paula Cole song, like, where have all the good hitters gone? Oh, no. That's a horrible song. It's a horrible song, right? What made you think of that? Did you hear that recently? Were you walking through a department store and it just happened? It's a soundtrack in my head all day long, Derek. You are a tortured soul. I've had actually a Goodbye Yellow Brick Road in my head for three days. And before that, it was It's a Beautiful Life by Ace of Base, which I hate with like a driving passion <laughs> stuck in my head for I don't even know where that one came from. The Yellow Brick Road one was spurred by something on Twitter. People were like, without saying Rocket Man, what's the best Elton John song? Goodbye Yellow Brick Road's like th probably the basic answer. Kind of a Love Lies Bleeding guy because of the great guitar work in that. But still, like if you'd asked me the, my favorite Elton John song, would I have just been like, Rocket Man? No, it's a good song. Come on. <laughs> Just because they called the movie that? Anyway. So, yes. Where have all the good hitters gone? I don't know. They're not in the American League. I feel an obligation to apologize to the wonderful listeners of our show for now having a Paula Cole earworm in their head <laughs> for the entire weekend. You came here for Futures Game and All-Star Rosters Talk, and you're leaving with that. And that is uh, something I'm truly sorry for. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll shift the focus to the National League and try to cleanse the palate a little bit. Uh, most surprising player among the starters here, Orlando Arcia, right? I mean, Atlanta had an unsettled shortstop situation. There were some folks that thought Von Grissom was going to just become a shortstop this winter and be the guy. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Pretty much anybody who thought that, or even people that didn't, wrote off the idea of Orlando Arcia being anything more than the worst player in Atlanta's lineup on a daily basis, right? That was sort right. of like, oh, they're, just, they're punting shortstop. They're good everywhere else. They can punt shortstop, and that's fine. And Arcia is the kind of all-star that if if I were the, the commissioner, if I had the full authority to make these rosters, he wouldn't be on it, not because I'm cruel, but because I would look at a bigger snapshot of time that would almost certainly, yeah. I'd be thinking more at the past calendar year, and he would fall short, right? But it is a good yeah. story. It's a fun story when a player like Arcia, who also kind of fits into the conversation of the the prospect that took a little extra time, or maybe didn't hit the full ceiling, for him to, at 28, come around and become an all-star, like that's that's a good story. That's something you can root for. That's a great story. I'm actually pulling up my old top 100s and to see if I can find where he was. Oh my God, I have to search all sheets here. We're going way back on this one. Where was he? Because he was a top prospect. I mean, this was, he was a guy, but it's been years. Oh my gosh. How far back are we going here? I mean, he debuted in 2016. Okay, 2016, he was the number 12 prospect on my list between Joey Gallo and Dansby Swanson and one ahead of Blake Snell. So a lot of guys from that list, Seeger, Buxton, Giolito, JP Crawford, Julio Urias, Tyler Glasnow, Rafael Davers, poor Alex Reyes. Like pretty good list. Next couple guys haven't worked out. And then 11, 12, 13, like 11 and 13, Gallo and Swanson have had very good big league careers. Arcia just seemed like it wasn't happening. I mean, there's, I wonder if there's even more of a story there. Like what did... What is something really different? It's only 59 games. But A, I'm completely with you in that. Is he really an all-star by the way I think about the game? No, but he's an awesome story. And I see things like that too. And I kind of want to know, or 
did something happen? Was something wrong in not blaming Milwaukee, but did he maybe just not mesh with a coach there, for example? Some one reason or another why it just never happened while he was with the Brewers, and maybe now it's happening while he's in Atlanta? Like, yeah, I'm I'm fine with good stories like that. To me, there's no one way to build an all-star roster. I am you know, I have my personal philosophy, but I'm very open to other approaches. I, the only thing I sort of oppose is this idea that the all-star roster should just be who had the best first half, which is really who had the best like, first two months. That's not very interesting. You're going to often end up missing a lot of players that way. But there's also room to have guys who who take different paths. And Arcia being an interesting story would be great. A uh, couple of people said to me after I did a sort of a, a lark of a column on the All-Star Games, why not have Ellie De La Cruz there? Yeah, okay, hasn't played very much. He's pretty freaking fun, though. That's kind of what it's about, though, right? You, you want people to tune in yeah. and just it's like a celebration of the game in the middle of the season. So you should bring the people that everyone wants to see. It's a music festival, but you make the lineup with baseball players instead of bands. If you put Ellie De La Cruz in the All-Star Game, would a few more people watch slash pay attention, right? Watching is right, obviously in this cord cutting streaming era, maybe that's not the ideal way to talk about it, but would you increase actual attention on the game? I, I think yes. Like I think he's enough of a phenomenon that he goes beyond just Reds fans being interested. People who are just fans of the sport know who Ellie De La Cruz is and know that he's capable of doing really crazy things, fun things and might tune in to see what he does. Like That, to me, is a big part of the All-Star game. Right? You want people to... This is an attention game. It, nobody cares about the outcome. The players might care in a competitive sense because they just are, but who wins or loses? Like I don't remember who won last year. I, probably a lot of people don't remember who won, but you might remember highlights. I still remember highlights of All-Star games that I watched as a kid, and you know that's what you're trying to create because you help build the fan base, or, you know, whether it's locking in or increasing the interest of people who already like the game or also just drawing new people in by saying, hey, here's one night where you get to see all the most talented guys in our sport on one field and someone's going to do something amazing. Well, Ellie gives you a better chance of having someone doing something amazing. Right. And I think doing something amazing is the way to go viral, to get parts yes. of this game to show up in places where it wouldn't ordinarily show up. And I think that's actually the best way to grow the fan base in a strange way. You need things that lure people in. So this works. This is something I'm fully on board with. But circling back on Arcia, you know, I think things started to change a little bit for him in the pandemic shortened season. He started to make a lot more hard contact that year. That was his final full season in Milwaukee. He sort of held that in the years since, bouncing around a little bit, uh, being an extra guy in Atlanta last year, getting to the barrel rate a little more often. So like, like, there's just a little bit of improvement that's helped. And I don't know if he's going to have a second half nearly as good as the first half, but for a guy that struggled and had some pretty lofty expectations, it's just nice to see him have a little success later than people uh, would have expected it to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Other player I was going to ask you about on the NL side is Luis Arias. It's just how excited are people generally that we have someone that is at least flirting with hitting 400 for the season. I mean, it's, it's halfway there. It's a long, long season, as we know. But do you think this could actually happen as a result of Arias's skills and the rule changes just opening up more possibility for balls in play to turn into hits? I mean, if you're asking me how would I bet, yeah, I don't think he's going to. It's an easy thing to bet against. It's so hard to do it. Right. The question is, what are the odds, right? How much, what are the, what's the payout ratio you'd have to give me for me to 
comfortably bet on Arias hitting 400 at the end of their, you know, after the last game of the season, is he at 400 or better? Four to one? I might do that. Five to one? You'd do four to one? I'd probably, I'd probably take that action from you. Beers, donuts, pies? What are we wagering? We'll do beers. I still drink. All right. So four beers to you one. You think the odds are less? So you think that it's much less likely? I think it's, I think it's less like what odds would you, well, I'll do four to one, whatever we're, we're, we're friends. We can, I can spot, I can certainly stand you a couple of beers, but what, what odds would you consider to be fair? Where you, would you be undecided between the two, two sides? It'd be somewhere probably the low double digits, 12 to 15. Oh, to wow. one. Okay. I know projections haven't necessarily all fully updated for the current run environment, but when projections yeah. are spitting out 310, 320, even 334 is the most optimistic from Zips. It's hard for me to say it's wow. fair anything less than like 12 or 15 to 1. I confess I did not know projection systems were that bearish. And to be clear, I do not think Arias is going to hit 400 on the season. He'd actually have to hit, what, about 408-ish the rest yeah. of the way to get there. So now we're actually saying he has to hit better in the second half, hit for a better average in the second half than he did in the first half. He's at 392 right now. So that's a pretty tall order to begin with. Um, not saying that you can't be lucky twice in a row, but like this guy just, you know, he's already pushing the upper bounds of what you can do. Um, the only thing I'll say is that having developed a little bit of projection stuff when I was still with the Blue Jays, toyed around with them since, and then I don't really do that anymore because there are people who do it way better than I would. But one thing I know is that they they do struggle a good bit with outliers. So they tend to, right, they tend to, any projection system is going to try, like look at preseason wins forecasts from any site. I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but you know, win, win-loss totals for teams, they all tend to push things towards the center, right? You generally do not have, so they'll struggle with somebody like Arias who is an, an extreme outlier. Again, I don't think he's going to do it. and But I think he belongs in the All-Star game just on that basis alone. He's another guy who's kind of more than baseball famous right now. Not super famous, but you know what I mean? Like People are aware that this is a thing that's going on. We need those. We need. It's like the home run chases of the 90s, right? They were good for baseball. I understand why people don't like to look at them that way, but they were definitely good for baseball. At that point in time, network TV had games in the middle yep. of the week and people stopped what they were doing and watched them. And I realized that different era of time, fewer options, but this wasn't the seventies. This was the late nineties. There actually was some stuff to do. There were, there were some alternatives in the late nineties and it still just got people to stop and, and tune in. That's, that's what the home run chase was. I mean, it, yeah. it's one of the only times I can remember where my family my parents, my brother and my sister who were younger than me, all of us sitting around as a group of five and just stopping to watch baseball games on TV that weren't a team that we were rooting for. That's pretty unusual. That that doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in in the 30 years since then. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the updated mock draft. Paul Skeens now going to the Pirates in the the latest mock. Yes. So this is it's two things working together. One is an increased sense from people I talk to, not with the Pirates. Pirates aren't going to tell anybody what they do until probably an hour before the pick um, next Sunday. Uh, but an increased sense that the Pirates aren't going to take Dylan Cruz, who's number one on the board. And it's for a variety of reasons. And I'll just say just real quick. Yes, there is a rumor running around that Cruz would rather not go to the Pirates, supposedly because he doesn't trust the player development, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think it's all posturing. I think th- I know that's actually out there. Like, I think I can trace the rumor back to a, a real a specific source. Um, but I think it's posturing. I think a lot of it is just trying to make sure that if the pirates take him, he gets the most money he can, and, or they shy away, knowing full well that the Nationals picking second um, would take Cruz and probably just give him their entire slot, if not even slightly more than that. Um, and then second is an increased sense that the Pirates have just kind of shifted their focus a little bit to schemes, who's always been on their list. I think the Pirates list for pick one has always been um, Cruz, Skeens, Max Clark, and to a slightly lesser extent, Langford. Not saying it's out of the question, but I mean, heck, when I saw Langford in a tr- in the AAA stadium in Jacksonville, I didn't see a Pirates person there, which I do think is a little bit odd because seeing a guy in a minor league stadium like that against Florida State, like generally pretty good way to see a hitter, right? You see how the ball plays in an actual professional ballpark. Um, I don't want to read too, too much into that, but it was a, a small variable. But I think Skeens has... It, established himself as kind of the easiest alternative, right? If you don't take Cruz, but you're taking Skeens, it's like, okay, well, you didn't take the best hitter slash best player, but you did take the best pitcher. And probably the best pitcher we've seen coming out of the college ranks based on what he was on draft day in like 10 years. So that's pretty defensible. And they could probably get Skeens at a slightly lower dollar value that would let them, they have an extra pick at 69 between the second and third rounds, which is a nice place to be. And so they could potentially do what they did two years ago and try to get another first rounder or even two from the high school ranks with money that they save. Yeah, it's a huge part of every team's strategy, as folks probably know by now, right? It's just making sure you maximize the value of that pool uh, to the best of your ability because there's there's a lot of ways to catch extra talent if you can do it right. Uh, Last question for today. We're not going to see Skeens pitch anymore in 2023, right? Given the workload he just had, is he kind of shut down for the most part, regardless of whether it's the Pirates at one, the Nationals at two, or however it actually plays out? Somebody said to me um, he could go on the Strasburg plan, which Strasburg was, um, Strasburg pitched a little less that spring. San Diego State got to the, I think the regionals and then got knocked out. They did not go to Omaha. But then Nationals took him first overall, and he didn't pitch again until the fall league. And he pitched a couple times in fall league. They started him in double A the next year, and he was in the majors uh, in June. I could 100% see whichever team takes Skeens doing exactly that. And I'd be fine with that. If they want to have him pitch a little bit in fall league, I mean, I think it's great for the fall league. And I think it would be good for him. I, I do like the idea. I'm a big advocate of the fall league. I know you've been to, you, mm-hmm. you understand it. Um, but I think it is a good, like, just get a quick taste of pro ball you've pitched and you've played with, you know, you've, you generally have at least one coach from your own organization there and they get some, you know, fresh video, fresh look at you. You don't even have to pitch work at a hundred percent out there because they're probably going to ask him to make a big jump next year. Most guys out of the draft don't go directly to double a, but he really should. There's zero point to having this guy in a ball. And I say that if the nationals end up with him, I am speaking against my own interest here because the nationals high A affiliate is right here in Wilmington. And yes, I would like him to start the year here, please. And thank you. Well, yeah, that'd be fun to get to watch him a lot, but yeah, it doesn't oh seem God. like where he belongs based on what I'll he's just live done. at the stadium. Right. I'll just be, or cruise. If cruise is here, right. I'll just, I live here now. You're in good shape either way. I think there's a, a good chance. You're going to see a lot of those guys. If, unless they skip them right to double a, right. That is the fear, which, you know, I'm torn because my, my, 
you know, ex front office side slash somebody who just like I don't work in player development. I talk to these people. What do I really think is best for those players? It's probably center and double A. But yeah, please send Dylan Cruz here for a couple of weeks. Let him hit 400 in high A. Let Skeens just pick, just just two home starts. It'd be great. Thank you. We'll probably dig more into the state of things going into draft weekend on our next conversation next week. If you want to check out the mm-hmm. 3.0 version of Keith's mock draft, you can do that with a subscription to The Athletic. It's a dollar a month for the first year. If you don't have a subscription, theathletic.com slash baseball show will bring you to that offer. On Twitter, Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thank you.